Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. So, um, not a whole lot to update. Still been trying to upload the uh, podcast on as many other listening platforms as I can. So far for now, it's still available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and I'm still waiting to hear back from TuneIn. They told me it's going gonna, it's gonna to be available on there. Um, so hopefully that'll be available soon. I'll obviously make it, uh, known on here, probably on the next episode or something like that. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Instagram, it's at no particular podcast. If you want to follow it on Facebook, same thing. You can just look up no particular podcast and it'll come up there. I mostly just post, uh, if a new episode is being uploaded and kind of a quick little, um, quick little, uh, posts on what the episode's about, who I talk to, and stuff that's covered and such. So if that's uh, if that's appealing, if you want to know what kind of episodes are upcoming and such, feel free to check us out on Instagram and Facebook. But uh, anyhow, not a whole lot more to update aside from that. I'm still wanting to hear feedback and uh, reviews to get an idea of how I'm doing, how things are going so far. I've gotten good feedbacks from coworkers and friends like face to face but obviously I'd be kind of surprised if a friend came up or a coworker and said hey man you're doing a really shitty job like you need to work on doing this or that or you know whatever so I just want some good honest feedback if uh, if there's something I'm falling short on let me know like what do you think I could be doing to make things better just let me know um, send any any feedback to no particular podcast at gmail.com or just rate and review on iTunes or, or any of those and I'll check it out. Um, anyhow, I guess uh, we'll just get on with the show. So in this episode, I spoke with Lindsey Grant, who is an author of uh, some children's books. So uh, Grillman in the Library, Grillman's in the Attic, and Grimlin Inside. So all of these were uh, written based off of kind of, they were inspired by some, um, some events that arose in her life and frustrations that came from them. And the gremlin basically, it's like, it's kind of a, a fictitious figure, but is representing someone that could be very real in your life and really affecting you mentally uh, physically and um, kind of uh, kind of affecting you without without you even knowing it. Maybe you do know it and you don't know, or or that you uh, you know it and you just you don't know what to do about it or anything. And it's kind of a person that just causes a lot of frustration. And um, you know, I'm I won't even try and wrap up what it is because you should just listen to the episode. She explains it way better and. Um, I don't know, it was very informative, and uh, I found that I have gremlins in my life, or have. I wouldn't say that I do so much anymore, but I know that I have, and I know that you know I have friends that have vented to me about, um, quote-unquote, the gremlins in their life. Um, everyone's kind of got them. I think that if you listen to this, and you listen to what the gremlin um represent you'll say I've got one of those I've got one of those in my life and 
yeah, it's a great conversation. But we talked about um, her her past experiences and mental health and her own struggles as well as uh, working towards helping others with their struggles. It was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it and look into getting these books. Um, if not, if you don't have kids, maybe for a friend that has ch- children or even just books they have around to, you know, kids come over or you know share with someone that's uh that's going through the same kind of situation with a gremlin in their life but anyhow i hope you enjoy my conversation with lindsey grant say how honored I am that you took time out of your day oh, I appreciate to come it. and talk with me. Um, I don't think that my story is that different than other folks. Um, there is this universal truths that we have in our life that's part of human experience. And those things, those similarities unite us but I think what enlightens us is discovering how we're unique individuals. Yeah. And our, our journeys are very unique, but ideally they, they lead to the same kind of insights about the nature of our experience. And so things in my past, like uh, being a mother uh, and a spouse and uh, identifying as a woman and um living in community um all those things are are very uh, I, I should say being a parent all those things are universal to people's uh human experience but the way mine has played out is unique to my life hmm. and so one of the things i've learned uh along the way is that people c- bring their own experience to how they perceive things. And it's when I honor that people come from a unique perspective that I can appreciate what they say. Mm. If I only look at it from how I frame things, from my experience, that's when you get this antipathy and people butt heads. And it's like, it's not until you open your mind and go, yeah, well, your experience and your perspective is a little bit different than mine. If I accept that as your truth, then it expands my ability to how I see things. It broadens that spectrum. And so that has been an, a significant part of my journey when I I, uh, I grew up, uh, well, I, I will tell my, my story. Yeah, start I, from um, the beginning. I am the third born of four. I was born in the 1950s and um, of my siblings, my experience was uh, significantly different for two reasons, and one was that I was really sickly as a child, oh. and uh, I was hospitalized five times before I got out of kindergarten. Wow! And it was particularly traumatic because in those days there was little appreciation for trauma, 
and how you treat children. It was a children should be seen and not heard kind of oh, thing. Oh, okay. And so the things that I recall in those days before I had words to articulate or process trauma, I recall being held down. Hmm. I, I recall uh, feeling abandoned by my family, and I recall people in white coats inflicting pain on me. Oh, okay. And those became intrinsic to how I perceive things. And so my value system was based on a fear of being abandoned and, a f- and avoiding pain. So, so all through all of that and everything, like your family wasn't showing kind of like remorse or any kind of, you know, um, I don't know, they didn't seem to feel like kind of sorry for you that you were like having well you know the problem is that they really perceived me as um sickly for Mm. a really long time and so i people withheld information from me because i thought it would make me sick and treated me and so in order to avoid that abandonment and to avoid appearing vulnerable i worked really hard uh, to be physically fit and uh, not to disclose any vulnerability. Okay. So you got to a point to where, like, you could be in, you know, sick or uncomfortable or something. You just and not hide say, it. You just not say anything. Absolutely. And it totally played with um, the value system that we have in America with presenting well. Yeah. And uh, years later, when I was diagnosed uh with depression initially and then bipolar disorder after that um it was very difficult to with my history of of being sick as a child and how i anticipated that and then years of of trying really hard to present well when it was impossible to present well it was Mm -hmm. a crushing blow yeah i actually had the first anxiety attack that i remember after a my initial hospitalization and my uh, primary care doc saying, well, let's talk about this bipolar disorder thing because my perception of it was I'm tagged for a lifetime as being less than. Hmm. And uh, I have grown, actually, over the last 20 years, I've been dealing with this. I've been challenged with bipolar disorder and subsequent diagnoses of like PTSD and from early trauma, um, I've, I'm, I've looked at it as a mixed blessing because it's brought an awareness of how, um, how external influences, whether they're relationships or um, environmental things, can, can trigger my, a reaction that can be adverse. And so it's brought uh, an awareness and a sensitivity to those kind of uh, triggers so and an acknowledgement and personal accountability mm-hmm. so it's like okay uh, it's not the fault of somebody that cuts me off in traffic they don't do it intentionally my reaction is my responsibility yeah and so I've acquired tools in order to cope with those things but awareness of them acknowledging it's my responsibility is um, is important uh, an essential part of staying well yeah 
So, and that's been quite a journey, especially with my history of not wanting to acknowledge any vulnerability Mm -hmm. and living in a society where faulting someone else for your issues, you know, whether it comes from the White House or your neighbor who's upset because your grass is growing too high. Yeah. Uh, Or uh, there is... uh, that personal accountability. You know, when you start blaming somebody else, you lose control of your life, your emotions. Your it's like because no one is out to get you. They are they are on their own journey. You know, it. Well, I shouldn't say no one is. Some people just like do that. <laughs> yeah. And and hence we go circling back to the gremlins. Oh yeah. Okay. So so the story of the gremlins in the attic uh, comes from. Uh, when I was married and the the latter years of my marriage after about 20 years and my husband had issues with substance abuse and so the thing with with people who have uh, behavioral abnormalities that whether they're self-destructive or not is that they want to surround themselves with people who support that behavior so uh, he invited a friend who had been kicked out to uh, live in our attic and the guy was like 6'2", and the attic space in the center was like five foot and a half. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a place where humans should be dwelling, you know, mm-hmm. with like fold down stairs and things like that. And so uh, the fella said to me, you won't even know I'm here. I'll be invisible. <laughs> Which wasn't exactly true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but it was part of my journey to learn that gremlins will tell you that. And and my adult daughter was home from college, and uh, she. when someone moves into your home, your sanctuary, and disrupts it, it causes a visceral reaction, that internalized stress. You get to your home, your, your sanctuary, you cross a threshold, and you like sigh. Okay, now I'm okay. Now I now I'm in my safe space. When someone is there that's disrupting that, and you don't you don't have that opportunity to reduce the stress by feeling safe, um, then that that those stressors grow and grow and grow, and you need a means to release that. One of the reasons comedy is so important mm-hmm. is just the the stress reduction. Um, so, uh, (laughs) my daughter and I started referring to this guy in the attic as the gremlin. Well, within a week or two, he invites his pregnant girlfriend to live in the attic with him along with his chow. Did he run this by you guys or just kind of? Oh, no, 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 no. It Uh, evolves. And that's (laughs) the nature of gremlins is that when they, they present well. They present like your friend, like they, they present as innocuous, you know. This will be a good thing. I will be there, with, I will help out, and, I, and it's all a lie because they have their own agenda. Yeah. Um, but they present it as, it's, I like a used car salesman. Everyone, you know, that sells a car is not a quote-unquote used car salesman, but they present this product 
like it's perfect. Yeah. And so do gremlins when 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 they're presenting. Yeah, this opportunity for us to live together, and we're going to have so much fun. Mm-hmm. So my daughter and I are just feeling this overwhelming angst because our sanctuary is being ravaged by these people that come in at two or three o'clock in the morning and slam these attic stairs down, and you know, so and and steal food out of the refrigerator and <laughs> do all the thing and leave a mess. You know, th- this is what people do that don't honor your sanctuary for what it is. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a matter of their convenience, and it's all about them. It's kind of there's some narcissism around that. So um, to deal with our anxiety, we wrote this story about this child who is lonesome. They're the new kid on the block, and and not as in the boy band kind of new kid, but <laughs> <laughs> but they are the new kid in the neighborhood, and very lonesome. And they go to the park, and a gremlin comes up, who presents just like them except of course they're green and furry and they have big ears and um but they go yeah i'm lonesome too yeah how about if we go to your house and so then when it's time for mom to come home the grandma says well you know i don't have any place to live can i just stay with you for a while oh man and the child says, well, maybe a little while. You stay in the attic until you have a place to go. But you stay out. No, my mom will be mad. And uh, so, so, so this in. individual, though, like he, he purely did like give you the inspiration, I guess, to write a children's Absolutely. book? Absolutely. We were, we were trying to deal with our anxiety around it. And I, we're writing the story about this child and incorporating things, verbiage that we had actually heard. Wow. You know, yes, they were in the attic, and yes, we referred to them as the gremlins, and yes, they were wreaking havoc in our life, getting us in trouble, and um, making us feel uncomfortable, making us cry, just like the child in the story. We got to the end of the story, and we realized we didn't know how it ended because our gremlins were still in the attic, mm. and we felt powerless to get rid of them. And then almost simultaneously, we both realized that the person who invited them in is responsible to invite them out. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what the child in the story realizes that, you know, uh, well, actually runs into uh, an old lady gremlin in the park who says, you know, that's the nature of gremlins. That's what they do. Yeah. They, they make their way. They pretend to be your friend and they get you in trouble and they leave a mess which is what this gremlin in the story and our gremlins were doing was leaving a mess. And uh, so it was actually, we look at each other and like, yeah, I said, Leah, it's it's your dad's responsibility to invite them out, huh? And you know, yeah, it really is. He needs to realize that he's getting in trouble. Oh, man. And did that take a a minute for him to... Well, actually, with our gremlins, it was the weather because the girlfriend had the baby and they're in this attic and soon it was May. You had a newborn baby hot. living in the attic? Yes. Oh, wow. Jeez. And so we put a baby in the attic of our story just because it's like, that. why would you do that? What's the matter with you? Well, it's because it's my free space. You know, I'm taking advantage of it. And um, so for years, this became like uh, incorporated into our family lore that, 
you know, if somebody moved in with you and then they started being miserable and all you could talk about is how miserable they were making you, it was your responsibility to invite them out. And the more adults I talked to who had been in a situation like that, whether it was an abusive boyfriend or whether it was an adult child or it's like somebody in your life was making your home miserable uh, or your life in general, if you had invited them into your heart, you really need to take responsibility to invite them out. Yeah, or even or even like neighbors or something. Like I, I had a friend whose who's neighbor would just like come over. All, and it wasn't that like, you know, when they go out of town or something, they'd help them out by like keep an eye on their place mm-hmm. or whatever. But like if you wanted to kind of keep it at that, and this person would like just show up randomly, just like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then like invite themselves in, invite themselves <laughs> in and hang out for a few hours. And it's like my friend would be like, OK, I totally had stuff I need to get done but at the same time they weren't taking the actions to be like hey could you would you mind like, I got to get some stuff done but and so um yeah I guess you got to kind of be careful with like what you give someone you know time like mm-hmm. you were saying if you if you make it so available to them they'll go ahead and sometimes take advantage of it a well, little bit too exactly. much and and they do it because it's their nature to get what they need yeah and it's so much easier if someone else provides that than if they go out and get it themselves yeah um and so um uh i don't know i i um we we sat with this story and like i said it became part of our family lore and how we approach things and identified Thing, and how important it is to set up your own boundaries and how it is to to voice how you feel one of the things about making it a children's story was that there's a lot of talk now about bullying but not we don't allow children to set boundaries and honor their boundaries when they feel uncomfortable so they grow into adults who like your friend don't know how to set boundaries we we tell Susie to go sit on uncle so-and-so's lap and it makes her very uncomfortable but we don't want to cause any rift in the family so you need to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable yes yeah, and so we grow into people who allow others to take advantage of them who don't uh who don't voice their discomfort mm-hmm. and don't set boundaries yeah and i it always sounds sexist but women are more obliged to that guys tend to voice how they when they feel uncomfortable not their emotions but it's like but but to set boundaries and so they're accused of not being able to commit to relationships Mm -hmm. like they just say i'm not ready to do this but women don't and they get they get sucked into relationships where they don't feel uncomfortable and they allow more and more people to do it so um I mean, having been in a relationship that for years that um, involved violence and abuse of one mm-hmm. kind or another, then um, I had been indoctrinated because of my experience in evangelical community and my sense of not wanting to feel abandoned or mm-hmm. abused to allow this to happen. So experience the, the gremlins and uh, was... Um, revolutionary wow so this last year in 2018 
was uh, really eventful for me. Now, I'd been working on mental health recovery for a long time and did had had one or two gremlins in my life, and so it, uh, but I had this awareness about it. Um, I was sitting on the story of the gremlins for a long time, and um, I uh, I had some health crises in 2018, uh, which included a cancer diagnosis in the fall, and um, so my my younger daughter said, "Mom, you." you really need to do something with the gremlin story, which is when I, I searched out uh, a new illustrator and uh, I realized more about the story and how the protagonist in the story was someone who was feeling very vulnerable. Yeah. And that that's how these people enter in is, is they play on your vulnerability. Yeah and uh, about the mentor in the story, who is also a gremlin, she shares with not just the, the uh, protagonist in the first story, but there's a subsequent story about someone who's also vulnerable, and they're an older person, and they're, uh, she's a librarian, and uh, the gremlin moves into the library. And a library, for most people, is a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's not just your attic space, you know. Th- it's not just that extra space, uh, not just your home, but but for many there's a, there's a comfort and a sanctuary in the library. Yeah. And this gremlin is invited in and, and um, because the librarian is vulnerable. And the vulnerability of elders is something that, like, came to me later. It's like children are vulnerable and elders are vulnerable. And people take advantage of them. Yeah. And it's not it's it's people with their own agenda mm-hmm. who who navigate toward. I had a a, a dog for years um, named Daisy who was a Australian Shepherd. Oh my God, they are so intuitive and so brilliant, and they find the person in the house who is the most vulnerable, and they gravitate toward them uh-huh. and stay with them. They're herding dogs. And so they want their they're intuitively want their people, their their herd to be safe. And so they will gravitate toward the one that is not well and sit That's with them. Interesting. I never never knew about that. And she was she was just a, a lifesaver. So she just really had a good sense of what was dangerous and what was not and, mm-hmm. and how to protect them. So she taught me a lot about that and about it, it, I have a this this righteous indignation that was part of being a 60s survivor and and when I see someone perpetrating this kind of gremlin-esque kind of attitude toward a vulnerable population whether it's children or the disabled or the elderly uh, I want to advocate for them I want to give a voice to the voiceless people and say no this is not right yeah so last year when I had um the cancer diagnosis and my daughter says yeah do something with the story the story of the gremlin in the library came to me and so we produced that one as well and so then my daughter comes to me and says mom you need now you need to write the gremlin inside and what that meant 
And I really had a, like a visceral reaction to it. And I went, okay, it's so easy to, comparatively easy, to identify people in your life who are imposing themselves on you. Mm-hmm. But to identify that, that you have the personal per- potential to do that to yourself. That's really hard. Yeah. Uh, that you can sabotage your own life. That you can sabotage your own sanctuary. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And so, but I knew that it was an essential story to be told. That it was the third of these trilogy of stories. That, that the protagonist in the other two stories that was wreaking havoc in somebody else's life. I knew that, well... As my brother, who works in the entertainment industry, told me once, villains are not the villains of their own story, but the heroes. And so that always gives me a chill. It's like, okay, Ted Bundy was the hero of his own life. Yeah. And that makes, when someone can see that in some, can relate to a villain, it is real scary to them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the the idea of the gremlins inside was scary to me because this gremlin in these other two stories was a villain. Yeah. I was like, okay, how can I acknowledge that I might have this villainous stuff inside me? How does that work? And so I just started to write the story. And the uh, antagonist, the gremlin in the other two stories, becomes the protagonist. And it becomes his story. And so in the last story in this series, the protagonist is walking around like most gremlins and cursing those things that remind him that he was kicked out of these places for no reason Mm -hmm. because there is no accountability and really no understanding about why people react to him the way they do. Yeah. And then he happens upon this granny gremlin in the park, the same character that advised the other people, yeah, that's the nature of gremlins. And uh, my daughter had also said, you need to tell her backstory. And I went, okay, this is our opportunity to say why she is doing, why she is a gremlin, but she's paying it forward and explain to people, this is what gremlins do. And so they meet each other and she knows his backstory, but he doesn't know hers. And so she says, well, you want to know you want to know my story and he goes well am i in it (laughs) because he's a narcissist right and uh she says well uh in a way you are and so she explains that that her story is not dissimilar from his that she knowing that the gremlin nature went from person to person to person and and totally burn out one relationship after another but she started to get sick and so she goes to the doctor, and the doctor takes an x-ray, and inside there's a gremlin. Oh. And, the, and the, the little gremlin, whose name is Gary, says, well, did they cut it out? Like, no, the doctor explained to me that everyone has a gremlin inside. Mm-hmm. And it's important because it tells you how to take care of yourself and the things you need when to eat, when to rest, when to play. The problem was that mine was crowding out my heart. Mm. 
and your heart is equally important because it tells you that the important part of staying alive is to take care of other people and to love them. And so that story becomes the story of knowing a balance about self-care and caring for other people. Yeah. And so she shows him how to care for other people and grow that. And from my experience, the heart grows too big. You become codependent and you forget to take care of your own needs. Yeah. So that's why that having a balance. And so the symptom, the, there are two symbols in the story. And, and one is uh, like a yin and yang symbol with a gremlin on one side and a heart on the other. Mm-hmm. And a teeter-totter because they're in... Uh, or seesaw or you know they call them different things because they're in the park yeah and the park for most people represents a sanctuary because we're as close to nature as as many people get so making that a safe place is is making sure there's a balance yeah no that's that's actually it's really interesting because um i love my mom and she's a great mom but she definitely did raise us to kind of um kind of not inconvenience anyone and um you know anytime like even when we were invited to go do things with friends like she was i don't know that you need to go do that or like oh like you you know just kind of like just always do what would make things easier for someone else even i i realized it kind of like when i went over to a friend's house one time and we woke up in the morning and his dad was like, you know, would you like me to make you something to eat? I can make you breakfast. And I just said, oh, I'm fine. He'd be like, I know you're fine, but are you hungry? I can make you food. And I was like, okay. Like, it's just like, it's interesting because I never really, I just got so used to just, be, oh, I'm fine. I'm all right. Don't worry right. about it, you know? And, you know, I did change to where, you know, now if I'm not fine, I'll let people know. If, mm-hmm. I, if I'm uncomfortable, if I'm hungry, I seek it out. But I was definitely raised with, you know, oh, you don't need to do that. Or you just don't inconvenience anyone. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And s- gremlins take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, most people are, are taught that. Um, that... Well, I mean, it's part of our Judeo-Christian ethic to prefer other people. Um, and because of my evangelical experience when I was a young person, I internalized that as well. It's like the epitome is self-sacrifice. And so, like with your experience, like, yeah, you need to prefer other people. And that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that in Matthew, it... it quotes him saying that the fulfillment and I'm paraphrasing now because I'm allowed to do that (laughs) it's because I know it's my opinion it's my interpretation but he says uh, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is to strike a balance between loving God knowing your relationship to the universe your uniqueness and uh, to the infinity to infinity and that however you perceive that mm-hmm. to to loving God embracing that your spirituality and loving your neighbor to the same degree that you're able to love yourself yeah so that is that proverbial uh, trinity that that three-legged stool that is the perfect balance mm. it's not preferring one over the other people who are super spiritual are je- 
are out of balance because they're not taking care of self or they're not taking care of other people. Uh, those people that sacrifice self for others. Uh, a good example are empty nesters who have sacrificed their uh, life for their children. Well, children grow up and go away. Then what are you going to do? You have no identity because you've not spent time investing in yourself or, or understanding yourself. Yeah. So it's all about balance. And so for me, it was a, a revelation and enlightenment and um, validation to come to the end of the story that that what who I had perceived in the gremlin as an antagonist was really a reflection of me, was really a reflection of an aspect of everyone. But it was... Uh, an aberration. It was. It was just. It was just like leading up to the to the revelation that we all have this. It is out of balance. And when it's out of balance, it looks abhorrent. Well, that's because. Well, I I think about nature, okay? Because we're all, you know, that being akin to nature is is where we find the greatest serenity. Whether it's standing at an ocean or in the forest it's like so to separate ourselves from nature is it internalizes stress so to acknowledge that the the lessons that that nature affords us is really important but we don't mm. um and nature is all about balance yeah. when there is some imbalance in nature whether it is uh, a high and low coming together and creating uh, some kind of windstorm or uh, on the ocean, you know, uh, that same pattern coming together and creating a cyclone or, or a hurricane or tectonic plates shifting because they're not, because they're out of balance and that causes a tsunami, an earthquake. That kind of cataclysm is about stressors. It's about imbalance, and that's why there is this cataclysm, and, and after such a cataclysm, there's a tremendous peace. It's like homeostasis. We have now found our balance again. And it's so because we are of nature, we, when we endure stressors to the point of cataclysm, it is our system trying to find a balance. Yeah. Like we need to get back to that space where we can just breathe yeah. and be okay, you know. And gremlins are really good, very instrumental in generating stress and ideally letting us know we need to regain that sanctuary, that that safe place, a place where we can get rebalanced. So, so there is a purpose, you know. Just yeah. like there's a purpose with with all sorts of, of uh, animals and, and creatures in nature that, that help us, you know, find that balance where we're most productive. Yeah. Or serene, because there is, in attaining some serenity, there's productivity in that. Mm -hmm. Because intuitively, our bodies, like, want to regenerate and want to be remade and, and renewed. And, but 
we have to get we have to let them rest which is why we sleep mm-hmm. you know we need to process information and and you need to not be busy you just need to rest so we can do our job yeah no so that's the gremlin story so yeah, that no, in and of itself that's my life story that gave a great background to like why you chose to write that and everything though that was really that was a good explanation i would have never guessed that you know it just like looking at the physical book itself it's like, oh it's you know it's a great kids book and everything and silly little illustrations but i would have never guessed it, it stemmed from you know, a husband's friend, you know, <laughs> staying over staying in the attic with his pregnant girlfriend and then a baby and everything. And yeah. And then, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, did, do you note that in the book? Like, is there any kind of like, uh, like any kind of uh, notation in the back as to kind of like, you know, what the gremlin does represent or do you leave it up to kind of the reader to, kind of maybe work that out and explain oh like uh, are you you're familiar with looney tunes right yeah all right you know their greatest appeal and the reason for their longevity is because they speak to adults as well as to children okay yeah. and so it is with these stories it's like i for years and years i'd, I'd tell the stories of the gremlins in the attic and uh to adults and they understand people come into your life and wreak havoc and you need to invite them out and so uh even if they're in the middle of having one and so i had the serendipitous opportunity to uh share the book with a a gal i know who is an intern psychologist and she has two children that are 15 and uh eight and so i gave her a copy and it was in the back seat of her car and her eight-year-old is looking at it and reading it and just delighted not just with the images, but that the story, the story is, is unique. And she gets to the end, she goes, I have to bring a book to school. Can I take this to school and read it to my class? And she did. And, um, and it was very well received by the children. And uh, so the validation that kids get the story to kind of came home when she told her mom, you know, this guy is kind of a bully. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they are. People that lie to you are not your friends. Mm-hmm. And people that overstay their welcome don't honor your space and your time, and they're not your friends either. Yeah, people even just take advantage of you like that, you know? I mean, I mean I've mean, i had family members that kind of maybe took a little bit of advantage of, like, generosity. Like, hey, uh, I need to pay this bill. Can you... Help me, or I need to buy a gift for someone. Can you spot me someone? And a time or two, it's like okay, and then it, it would be where it get to be a number of times where mm-hmm. I get to be like, okay, listen, I'm not made out of money, but you know, like that kind of thing. But so you set the boundaries, yeah, which is your responsibility, right? Take care of yourself. But like you were saying, um, that was not what you were taught. That's what you had to learn on your own. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of times it's just like you know, even. Mentally, I would just think like I really can't afford to give them this money, but like it's family, I gotta do it. They need help, you know. Like, and that's well and good up to a certain point, but when it gets to be where you're sacrificing your own financial security or even you know, whatever, absolutely, you know, yeah. It just, it, there comes a point where you just gotta be like, you know, what, honestly, like I wish you could kind of see how hard this is for me, you know, and just 
but we don't voice those things. Well, it's we hard just kind of expect them to read your mind. Yeah. And that happens in uh, romantic relationships all the time, especially yeah. women who think their their spouse or significant other should know how they feel. Well, yeah. if you love me, why don't you know that I don't like it when you leave the toilet seat up? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, or or uh, why don't you understand that I told you one time or I hinted one time that I can't stand it when you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so you internalize yeah. all these stressors and because there's not open dialogue. Yeah. Because boundaries aren't respected because they're just assumed the other person would do that, then relationships fall apart. Yeah. And it's because when you communicate your truth with somebody, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable to their response. Yeah. And uh, family is notorious for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you see all sorts of people, you know, they, they won't talk, don't talk to so-and-so, the Hatfields and the McCoys, don't talk to so-and-so, or Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. don't talk to so-and-so because they did, made this offense, and I don't even remember, it was so long ago, but nevertheless, we don't talk to them because they're all off. We stand by that, yeah. Yeah, 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 we, and so this is manifesting, this whole mentality of them and us is manifesting in Washington, mm. you know, where people can't come to a consensus about what is good for everyone because they're so polarized. And uh, so there are gremlins on both sides. Yeah, I know. It sounds like there's definitely, there's gremlins everywhere. There are gremlins everywhere. And it's not that they are evil. And it's not that they are out to get everybody. They're just out of balance. Mm -hmm. You know, their, their gremlin is too big Mm -hmm. and squeezing out their heart. Yeah. You know, so we we really need to uh, work for toward an enlightenment that as human beings we are social creatures, mm-hmm. but we also have this need for self-preservation. Yeah, part of that is maintaining safe and comfortable open communication, so we can have a respectful uh, come to respectful consensus that works for everybody uh, but when even in animal kingdom uh, the the first group animal group that comes to mind are elephants because you know that they go in herds and when there is one that separates itself from the herd it's a rogue it might as well be called a gremlin because it's out there doing its own thing yeah and usually because it doesn't have the protection of the herd, it dies. It's self-destructive. And um, people do that because separate themselves for a myriad of different reasons. But uh, it's usually a lack of awareness. And it might be that their perception or treat tweaked by their experience or uh, a mental health issue or whatever. they Or... Even just arrogance. Yeah. I keep going back to the White House and the angry orange. But if there is an arrogance of some kind that makes you think that you're better than everybody else or better than most or better than people because you have more money or you have more something and you separate yourself, you become a rogue. 
and you set yourself up for destruction. And that sounds so heavy. It does. <laughs> it's like, but it, it's one of those universal truths. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you do that? The most successful people are those who have a measure of compassion. Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to die alone. Um, on their own, independently. It is part of, it's the end of their journey. But I would much rather leave knowing that I had impacted the world in a positive way. Yeah. Knowing that I left people with memories that would be useful. Yeah. Than to be despised. Mm-hmm. Being a gremlin, you know? Leaving as a gremlin, yeah. Yeah. That's not... That's not the perception that I want to have. Like, a, I think a part of that that sometimes I think about is that I wonder, do you think that maybe it'll become more of a thing for people to just not say anything in relation to uh, kind of how easy it is to just to not have to deal with somebody face-to-face, you know, just do it online? It just seems like that's... Oh, <laughs> I just kind of worry sometimes about the long-term weaknesses of, like, even, like, asking a girl out on a date or breaking up with somebody. Or it, I I was talking to somebody just the other day that was interested in recording in a, a podcast, and she was saying how, you know, I think she was in her, her late 30s and was saying how she's finding it more and more often that people would just stop texting like you know rather than meeting up and saying hey i don't think that we should keep talking or you know seeing one another they will just cut communication delete it's them dead off. air yeah 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 and i mean i imagine when you started dating that wasn't a thing like you know i imagine that you know somebody wouldn't just you know well, I'm just not going to... Well, the telephone was, was invented after I was born. <laughs> yeah. But wasn't there still, like, some common courtesy to, like, kind of... I don't know. I was talking No, with... I, you know, I think that um, relationship endings is, is is around pain and people avoiding pain. Yeah. And uh, I have a friend who... Um, has is my age he's in his early 60s and um he's had not a lot of success in finding women to date Mm. and so when he does enter in a relationship it is um he sets it up to uh dismiss the other person early so he won't be hurt Oh, okay. And so it's like, I'm not going to let you dump me because that's been painful for me before. I'm going to cut off communication or, you know. And people do that. It's usually, I think it's fear-based. Trying to avoid pain. Yeah. And pain, from my perspective, is simply the brain saying something has to change. Yeah. And we don't want to embrace change. We're such creatures of habit. But uh, change is really essential, part Mm -hmm. of nature. Uh, And it's like um, if there's not an influx of of new water into a pool, uh, then it grows stagnant. Yeah. And so in relationships, when there isn't uh, a new influx of ideas um, 
or something entertaining, new life, then they grow stagnant. It's boring. Yeah. No, I think about this interview that I saw that somebody's having with this rabbi, and he was talking about um, lobsters, like, growing. <laughs> and he was saying that, you know, as a lobster grows and everything, and it, it gets bigger, it gets uncomfortable in mm-hmm. its shell, and that discomfort causes it to need to make itself vulnerable and leave that shell to go grow a new one to become a bigger, stronger lobster. Excellent. And, you know, I just thought, like, oh, man, that's, that just goes to show how important it is to face discomfort and make yourself vulnerable so that you can go and grow and become a stronger individual. Exactly. exactly. You know? That's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, my uh, eldest granddaughter's name is Kali. And, of course, it gets bastardized, and it's Kali. But she is named after the Hindu goddess of destruction. And so when she was probably 10 or 12, we sat down at the computer at to, I said, there's something more about this. I mean, uh, the city of Calcutta is named for her. I mean, there, was, there, there is more of a reason because this has such a negative connotation. Um, the image of her is, is holding the heads of her enemies in her oh, hands. Wow. And she has all these arms and could, from Western perspective, she's very threatening. There's something else to this. And so it has a much deeper meaning. Uh, the what I, what I saw online, it says, um, even an eggshell must break to bring forth new life. Hmm. And the uh, profundity of this, what did, didn't escape my, my granddaughter, and so it brought uh, a deeper wisdom, and she really owns that name now. It's like, it's okay. You know, sometimes you have to break through. You know, I think the adage is like, well, sometimes you got to break a few eggs and to make a cake or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so that is a significant part of life. I mean, if you think of the birth of humans, it's, there's a lot of discomfort, but you have to get through that in order for some something someone to be born i mean uh, even the experience of fathers that are present is a, a discomfort because you see the person you love so vulnerable and uh, but it's something that if once you get through it there is a tremendous amount of joy and of course relief through that birthing process like the crab you know i have to be in a vo- or or, or uh, lobster I have to get through that pain knowing yeah. that there is greater life, greater existence for me yeah. on the other side. Yeah, no, it's... I have to deal with my gremlin. You know, exactly. In that story, putting yourself forward and saying, okay, I acknowledge that this is not working mm-hmm. in any relationship. You know, this is not working. And owning your part of it is like, yeah, I was kind of vulnerable and naive when I entered into this relationship, but I'm not in that place now. Yeah. I need to move forward. Yeah. We don't allow ourselves because of our naivete um, to to acknowledge that res- that we're responsible. I know I first ta- started talking about empowerment uh, after the demise, uh, the implosion of my marriage and the Gremont affair, <laughs> which might be another book altogether. Um, to own my responsibility and I thought okay I 
personal empowerment it meant for me, I am still experiencing pain even afterwards and exploring what that pain was about and, and owning it. So again, well, that was when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, initially with depression, um, was afterwards. And you know, so the protagonist, what I had pictured as my gremlin, my spouse, was no longer there to blame. I had to pick up the garbage, you know, the gremlin garbage that was left behind and glean through it. And they're like, okay, I need to move on to a new life. And I actually did. I changed my name and uh, worked to, um, I did my own divorce papers. And so I learned something in making an effort to create a new life. I have no idea why I went there. <laughs> but I, I think it is uh, acknowledging what you're saying. Like, like you have to honor that this is part of life. This, this, the pain is a part of life. Yeah. And to move on through it. Yeah, and it can be hard to do it. And I don't even as far as you know as relationships. That's one mm -hmm. thing. But even a job, when you outgrow that oh job, that's yeah. a hard one for people. Like, well, I have my health insurance. I have you know all this to think about. And I'm like, yeah. And I get it. I mean, I can't say that I have never been there. You know, it it can be hard, and sometimes it is. You know, you can be tact tactile about how you do leave that job, but. Some people that I talk to and they'll say, like, I hate this place, but I'm just going to be here for the next 25 years. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like that's your life. There's so many more avenues that you could go down. And yeah, there might be a year or two where you're really not feeling very secure, certain as to what the cards are going to play out. But, you know, it could turn a really a real good profit, if not financially, at least, you know, personally and mm -hmm. your, your own happiness but yeah there's there's a lot of different confrontation and discomfort that people i think they don't want to face yeah. yeah if you think of it in terms of the analogy of an eggshell that job is like the confinement of an of an egg and then people outgrow a situation yeah and you really need to break out yeah you know and sometimes it is just feeling that constraint to the point where you can't stand it anymore there's so much stress you have to make the effort to break out and it's difficult yeah um because there because on the outside of that egg is a huge unknown yeah but it's life you know it's expanding it is better than dying in the egg mm -hmm. which is what if you're in a job that's what ha that's going to happen that is is that stagnant pool unless you grow you will die in the confinement of that eggshell or in that stagnant pool. Yeah. You need to move forward. Yeah, that's a real dark image too. That really is. Why and, like. and why would you choose that? Because uh, we have this innate sense of self preservation. Yeah. Uh, it is it's not that the egg is any more the eggshell is any more powerful than the life inside it. But if you allow it to oppress you and internalize it and, and, and blame the shell, the chick does not blame the shell. Mm -hmm. It says, it's time. It's yeah. time for me to go. People, everyone comes to that revelation on their own when their own stress level gets to a point where it's, it's, it's time. Uh, 
And I think in terms of um, when I left my marriage, there were so many constraints, whether they were, uh, whether it was religious dogma or financial insecurity, all these reasons I should stay in a relationship that was really harming me and harming my children. Um, and the reassurance from perpetrators, because it is wave-like, you know, uh, domestic violence or any kind of gremlin-esque behavior is wave-like. There's always this honeymoon, like, oh, yes, the things will be fine, and you buy into it, and then it happens again, but because it's perpetrating this pattern. Uh, and the same thing happens in job situations, you know. There'll be this cataclysm, and then you get over that, and then like, okay, everything is fine, and then it happens again, because what it does is the people that are perpetrating this difficulty um, think it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, we got through that, and you, you survived it, so now everything's okay, and then the behavior, whatever it is, is escalated. And usually what happens is that there is not an open dialogue about that it's difficult because people are, have insecurity about their, their life in some way, whether it is their financial security or their housing situation, wherever. So they don't, so afraid of breaking the eggs that they don't open the communication yeah. to move forward. You know, I, no, we don't know. I mean, and in the moment we're born, we don't know what's on the outside and we are forced into it. Yeah. But we survive it mm-hmm. for the most part. So um, the unknown is that we, we just make it into the scary, awful thing, but we face it every day. I mean, when you get in your car and you drive down the street, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You trust that instinctively you'll be able to react in a timely fashion. But to trust other people to stay on their side of the road is not to be prepared. Mm-hmm. So you'd go in with the best preparedness that you have, and every time you encounter something new, hopefully you learn from that and makes you better and makes your journey a little bit more safe. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good points. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, it's hard to tell anyone. Like they're ultimately going to do what they want to do, mm-hmm. and sometimes. I remember thinking thinking back to certain times in my life when friends were telling me like you need to get out of this relationship, you need to make a change. At the time, I'm like, I know what like I want to do and what I need to do. I think I'm fine. And mm-hmm. like thinking back, I was I was so wrong. Like I should have listened to them, you know. And I think a lot of people are in their moment, you know, even though they're getting good advice from people, they're mm-hmm. gonna do what they ultimately want to do, yeah. but. Hopefully they learn sooner than later and they make some So they changes. don't have to repeat it? Yeah. And so, so they, they don't, don't just hop into another egg? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They can make some adjustments and yeah. such or even see warning signs of like, right. oh, I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this job. I need to get out of this relationship or whatever it is. But, um, yeah. One of the things that, that I have to attribute my recovery with is a building a uh, support network of people that I trust. Yeah. And I think when you're very young, you really don't trust your friends to tell you their truth. Yeah. And so uh, I really trust my friends. The other day I was at my friend Renee's house and she texted me later and she goes, are you okay? 
And I go, uh, yeah, why do you ask? She says, well, when you're at my house, you're just dropping a lot of F-bombs, and that's not like you. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I thought about it, you know, and uh, I realized that something about my behavior during the day that had included in it and, and honored her input because she has a different perspective than I do. And so I went, okay, well, I can honor, you know, myself by taking better care of myself during the day, and I will present in this way. But because I did, I learned something new about myself because I honored her perspective. Yeah. I, I know that she cares about me. It's so essential. Let me going back to the grandma thing again. You cannot build that safety, emotional, social s safety net for yourself unless you're truthful with people and you honor their perspective and that takes time yeah and it takes an open discourse not just honoring what they have to say but offering your honest opinion what i say about my very best friends is that they'll call me on my shit and i have permission to call me call them on theirs yeah and that builds relationship but society's just is so entrenched in fear of breaking relationships it we do the opposite and don't share our truth yeah we don't break the eggs because we're so afraid of what might be on the outside which is an unknown mm -hmm. i also told myself over the years and other people that i would much rather have friends than a lover but ideally someone who is both because a lover lies to you because they're afraid of what they'll lose. And friends tell you the truth because they know what they'll lose if they don't. Yeah. Wow. That's well put, yeah. So. Yeah, I've had, uh, even though I'm, you know, 25 years old, I have a few friends that I've known nearly two decades, you know, since we are wow. in kindergarten, you know. But those ones are the ones that well me know me so well that they can read me yeah like they can i don't even know sometimes how they get it but they'll pull me aside be like hey i feel like things are off like what's wrong and if i'm like nothing i'm fine don't bullshit me here <laughs> like i know you you know but that's important to have and because sometimes yeah. sometimes it comes up and they they'll tell you it even when you don't know that things are wrong. But, you know, sometimes I'll put things in perspective and you realize, like, wow, things aren't great. And I guess I've maybe been in denial about it or something. So, yeah, it is really important to be honest with people and, you know, vent a little bit here and there. Even when you feel like you're, you know, maybe, I don't know. It's just important to make time, I think, to, like, express to somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thinking. more time you... And the more time and the more truth you put into a relationship, which sounds like what you've done with your friends, with these good friends, not with these gremlinesque people yeah. in your life, but really true friends that care about you and you care about them in return, that uh, you build that rapport and that, that trust. And uh, this open dialogue, that's trusting, trusting that they will call you on it and that you have the liberty to call them on it back yeah um i was i what i have learned about um romantic relationships is 
and about open relationship. Well, any relationship, because it can be a parent-child or, or um, a, a work relationship, whatever. With people have a tendency to want things to be 50-50. And they'll start blaming the other person. Oh, you're not carrying your share of the load, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you think about when you join two things together, whether it is a piece of rope, you can't put two ends of a rope together and expect them to stay. I don't care how much super glue you use. They'll, it will pop apart. What you need to do is entwine them yeah. or overlap them. And so in terms of relationships, it is not going 50-50. It is 75-75. It is that overlap. Mm -hmm. Like when I am not at 100%, you are there for me and vice versa. Yeah. So is that overlapping and respecting the other person's strengths and their deficits, hmm. you know, and being there for them. That overlapping in relationships is what gets them, That is where the sustainability is. And if it's 75-75, you have reserved that 25% for yeah. self-care. Yeah, that person you know, will bring you, you up. Absolutely. And so um, I, I think it, it is just shifting the paradigm and understanding that the, it, we're, we're going to work together on that 25% of overlap, but also understand that the uniqueness of you is reserved for your quiet space, mm -hmm. you know, and um, honoring that that respectfully like when when your friends and you get together you have that time that overlaps but you don't go yeah i'm gonna go hang out in your bedroom well no that's your sacred space <laughs> like yeah. you're not gonna go into my drawers and and check out all my private stuff no no friends don't do that mm -hmm. they reserve an honor that that's your space and likewise when you have communion with the other person you honor that as sacred as well you know um, relationships are not easy they're not and they require time and energy and when someone's not willing to put that in you know like well apparently you need some more self-care and I and and to walk away I've recently had to do that uh, with a person which was hard yeah. but I recognized that their life did not allow them or their choice was not to invest in time in a relationship with me and going, you know, I honor that your journey is taking you in that direction. Um, but I'm not going to chase you down. I am not a stalker. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. And it's painful if you've put time into something like that, but to not to chase it, someone down and I constantly be calling them, oh, yeah, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Haven't heard from you in a long time. It gets to be real repetitious. You have to have to go, you know, maybe this is the end, and that can be okay. Yeah, and I, I feel like a few years ago I had a really hard time dealing with stuff like that. Like I was always fighting for relationships with friends. I was always trying to be friends with everyone and everything, and it kind of like dawned on me that I was always the one making plans with them. And like, I was the one always contacting them and, you know, I was never getting, I had a small handful of friends that would randomly just call me just to see how I was doing. And I realized that like, those are the ones that are like, those they're ones. the ones that yeah. I need to make more time for. Right. That, you know, even when they're, you know, 
stationed in the army it's thousands of miles from me or whatever they're still making time to to contact me and stuff Mm -hmm. like those are the friends that you could be across town or across the country and those are the ones that are worth you investing that spare time you have in rather than the ones that kind of forget you you know right so right that and um yeah because if you invest your time in your time is precious, like we talked about yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. All comes and back. if someone is not willing to invest that time in you and spend time with you, if it's you don't want to be like dragging it out of somebody. I don't want to be with someone who feels obliged to be with me. I would want a uh, commitment. And I think that I have an issue with people that say, oh, guys are f- afraid to commit. Well, no, guys know the difference between commitment, which is about choice, and obligation mm-hmm. that is about constraint. Yeah. And uh, you are obliged to pay taxes and die. Yeah. Why would you want to align a marriage with that? Yeah. You know, if I am here because I choose, there's a tremendous amount of strength in that, and that expresses love and concern. If I feel like someone has a shotgun to my head, I I used to say in in my evangelical days that uh, no one feels coerced into the kingdom. It is those that are wooed in. Hmm. If you feel invited into a relationship and you feel welcome, if you feel at home in the company of somebody, you're more likely to stay than if you feel you're being coerced or someone's because the, by nature, we resist being forced to do something. It's our human nature to just draw back. If you were to pull my hand, I would pull back. Yeah. But if you reached out your hand and invited me to take it, I'd be much more likely to go with you. Yeah, I've never understood those, like, fire and brimstone sermons. <laughs> you know, I, I, I attended churches that were a lot more just like, you know, like, I'm here for you. You know, mm-hmm. I want to give you answers to questions that you have. Like, you know, I want to help you learn and understand more about this, but I'm not going to push it on you. Rather than, like, those ones that are just real, like, you, do you know what eternal damnation is? Do you know where you're going after you die? Like, just, like, you know, like, scaring you kind of almost, you know? Like, well, yes, and it's about fear. Yeah. Because fear is so... It's so powerful a tool to get people to do what you want. Yeah. If you think about Jonestown um, and the 900 people that died there, they they went to Ghana with Jim Jones because he he made a pretense of, yes, we love each other, but there's a tremendous amount of fear that was behind it. We're afraid that others won't understand, and so we gravitate with each other where we have, where we feel safe. Yeah. Um, It is a tool, the fear is is a tool that people use to manipulate, and it comes out of ignorance. Just, uh, I know a little bit about the Jonestown thing. Is that something that you, can you kind of, like, I guess, uh, just sum it up a little bit? Okay, so um, there are a number of documentaries about yeah. Jim Jones, who was a minister and political activist in San Francisco. 
and uh, he started this church called the People's Temple. Well, I don't, I'm not certain that he started it or just took it over. Mm. And it was in a predominantly uh, Afrocentric community, so a lot of poor folk, and they all gravitated toward it because he they saw him as a patriarchal symbol of goodness. And like you said, he was, he was very active in local politics and supportive of people whose voices had been marginalized, but he was also uh, an egomaniac. Mm. And so the adoration that he got, the notoriety that he got, kind of, kind of fostered that, that mentality. And when people started questioning his control over this group of people, which numbered in the in thousands, yeah, his influence in the city and among his congregation, um, he went to South America and uh, bought some property and set up this this community called Jonestown and um, set himself up as a demagogue. And, and so it started as kind of an evangelical thing and they used this like this pretense, but um, he became the substitute um, deity for them. And he made all the rules, and and uh, they had a cache of weapons, and a cache of cyanide, and Kool Aid. Yeah. In the event that that someone uh, would, uh, would, just some apocalyptic thing would happen, and they would all need to escape. And uh, so, in the end, when when some family members in the states started complaining to their uh, congressman, uh, the congressman went down there to investigate, and uh, Congressman Ryan was killed. He was shot, and a number of other people that went down with him uh, were shot at the airport after they went into Jonestown compound and investigated and, and heard some things. Um, Jim Jones was afraid that it would get out and his his story would be exposed. Well, it was because there were some survivors, but there were 900 people that that died of cyanide poisoning Jeez. or being shot. Yeah. So, so it was really tragic um, and an eye opener for a lot of people about how when someone has too much power over and too much influence, how detrimental it can be. Yeah. And the families felt so helpless, you know. And there are there are still people, just like there are survivors of uh, the Waco debacle uh, in Texas, and people that still follow the dictates of David Koresh, even mm. though he's been gone a really long time. But it is that fear and paranoia that they put in people. Yeah, people are going to come in and they're going to kill us, and I am the... I am here to save you, and I have all the answers. When someone says, I have all the answers, that's when you need to run like hell. <laughs> yeah, probably don't have the right answers. Yeah. I have all of them. They may not be the right. Yeah. They, may, they, they may not be the right answers for you. Yeah. But, um, yeah, when, 
we just don't we're not allowed to trust our gut mm-hmm. kind of like the analogy of the the foisting the little girl to sit on uncle so-and-so's lap it's like you know that doesn't feel comfortable to me my gut yeah. is telling me it's not okay you know so yeah you know, trust our gut yeah it's true I did want to kind of talk a little bit about kind of your learning and learning about social work and how you kind of, how you did kind of find your way into appreciating, you know, the importance of mental health and everything like that. Was that found at at college or did you, have you always kind of valued that? Well, um, when my marriage imploded, I... I chose to go back to school. Oh, okay. And uh, I had been working for, I had a job with the federal government um, working for Social Security. And while I was working in Social Security, the people, I was um, answering the 800 number. And so people calling in are widows and and uh, the guardians of disabled folks and those with disabilities that are struggling to survive. Everyone comes from a, from a place of transitional trauma that's coming, that, that calls in. And so I think I got compassion of burnout, but um, because uh, of, I, I just wanted to help everybody. So um, I had a mental health crisis and then, and then chose, rather than going back into a work environment to go back to school so I went back to school and realized I have a, a strength in communicating. And I have always wanted to be a storyteller. And so to me that translates to, yeah, you're a writer. Well, and then owning that was hard because I didn't get paid to. And I, I, my mindset was, I, if you don't get paid to do something, it's not valid. <laughs> so I, I settled on storyteller because very few people get well, except maybe Carson Keeler, get paid to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay because that was that's how I chose to identify. So I went to school for a couple of years to community college, and then it was time to transfer to university. And um, I was going to go into communications. Hmm. And I was exploring a, a lot of, I had offered scholarships to a lot of different schools. But I really wanted to go to Concordia because it was five blocks from my house. Hmm. And none of these other schools actually wanted to move their campuses five blocks from my house. So it was almost a no-brainer. But the thing about Concordia is I had grown up in the neighborhood. And when I was really tiny, we used to walk to my grandmother's house, which was only a couple blocks from Concordia. And my mom was like, don't go on the grass. It's like, why? No, no, don't do that. It's like it was some foreboding thing. So when I wrote my essay to go to Concordia, I said, I just want to lay in the grass. <laughs> and apparently it was unique enough that they said, yeah, I think you should come here. Yeah. But that was the most, I, of course, I, you know, I had tons of, being a non-traditional student, I had a lot of experience in the neighborhood uh, a lot of academic success to that point. And so there were a lot of reasons to invite me in. But my feeling was, I just feel at home here and I want to feel welcome. I want to lay in the grass. Yeah. And so um, so 
when I was uh, looking at the programs, it was a social work program, and helping other folks is, had been a big part of what I had done in community college. And I went, well, maybe I can incorporate both things. And so I enrolled in the social work program. And it had it was a significant part of my journey in terms of mental health recovery, even though I spent a number of of days, if not weeks, during that time, during the three years I was there uh, in the hospital or in respite. And that too was part of my journey. But I ended up uh, graduating cum laude, despite having one mental health crisis after another, uh, but learning a lot about clinical approaches to social work. And though I have really now worked in the field, it is a significant part of, of who I am. Having mm -hmm. that clinical perspective helps me in dealing with clinicians and other healthcare workers in, in setting boundaries. I had my own clinical gremlin at one point. And it was a clinician um, who said to me, you know, you're not like my other clients. And because I was particularly vulnerable, and I really had not thought of her as a gremlin before, but it's true. Um, because I was so vulnerable at the time when I was cycling, they're in this depressive cycling once every few months, you know, and in a hospital twice a year. Um, I bought into the fact that she thought I was special and that she was my friend and I was not like anybody else. So after a number of months, and in retrospect, it was some of the weirdest stuff went on in, in, a, in a clinical environment, uh, she did things like turn on Rosie O'Donnell because that was her favorite show while we were in session and go online and bid on eBay things and uh, invite me to um, to explore Craigslist personals to to I, I have no idea what the point was but it's like you introduced me to that okay so so one of the one of the symptoms of uh, hypomania is a heightened libido and it can get you in a lot of trouble now why a clinician would invite somebody to explore a place where they could get in a lot of trouble is beyond me but it's kind of gremlin-esque it's this is your agenda this is not what's best for me so in retrospect I see things a whole lot differently but in the moment I was like this sponge like yeah tell me how to take care of myself and I was getting a lot of misinformation I just want this friendship to work. Well, it wasn't friendship. It was supposed to be a clinical relationship. So uh, one of the things she did was text her old high school boyfriend that she was reestablishing while we are in session. Okay, it's like on Medicaid's dime. She's like this. And so I just thought, you know, this, she, she's getting together with her old boyfriend. This is really cute. I want my clin I want her to be happy because she's my friend. Okay, this is, it. yeah, it, in retrospect, yes, from the outside looking in, is really bizarre. But that's not where my head was at. I was yeah. very vulnerable. So she complains to me 
that she wants to go meet Bob in California, but she doesn't have the money. Oh, man. Yeah, you saw that one coming, right? So, so of course, I give her my credit card and say, yeah, you know, you can always pay me back. All right, she ran up my credit card. And mind you, I had set a limit. I said, yeah, I... Will it be less than $2,000? Yeah, okay, because I can manage that. Whoa. Jeez. She ran it up to ten. Oh my god. Which, gosh. this particular credit card had a $10,000 limit. But when you have a $10,000, they expect you to make significant yeah, payments every month. Yeah, 50, 60 and, bucks here and there. And when it's that high, and when you have missed a payment or two, which she did, and the interest rate is 25%, it is oh really gosh. hard to make this. And I was in no place to, you know. Uh, I was unemployed or, and or uh, a college student at the time. And I had worked really hard to have a real good credit rating for someone who was, you know, living at, at poverty level. And uh, just having this hang over my head and believing, yes, she's my friend. She's going to make these payments. Mm-mm-mm. Dang. Well... Then she left the state. She left that job. She left the state. She goes, yeah, I promised to pay you back. That was so gremlin. <laughs> she did. She paid it down to 2000 bucks, And o- over a number of years, I managed to, to refinance it to bring the interest rate down. Um, but uh, I refer to her as my $10,000 therapist. <laughs> so so that's part of my and I can't be bitter because I understand this woman had her own agenda and she had her own faults you know uh, I do have issues with someone taking advantage of someone who is so vulnerable and it is so unethical for anyone who is in a position of power in a clinical relationship to involve themselves either financially or emotionally or anything like that, there are standards that are set up. Uh, and she abridged them. So I have no issues talking with people now. I said, like, you are not this person's friend. You know, this won't work. They can't be objective. If they make a pretense of being your friend or you believe they're your friend, they have to maintain a clinical perspective. So don't go there, you know. As vulnerable as you are vulnerable, that's not okay. Yeah. So uh, I learned, uh, I, I gleaned probably more insight from my relationship of being victimized by this clinician than I did going to social work school. Uh, that's horrible. Man, I'd be so <laughs> frustrated. Like, I couldn't imagine. You know, oh, and my family was telling me. You know that's not okay, and I'm like, oh no! I was like, like you in their relationships, right? Like, uh, yeah, no, no, it's fine. You're and not listening to them. My family's going, that's not okay. <laughs> oh, it wasn't until years later I had a different therapist, and I, I, I told her about that experience, and her like jaw dropped, and she goes, I usually don't do this, but do you mind giving me her name? Cause I'm gonna go look this up on the computer. <laughs> I want to find out if she still has a license in this state. <laughs> Jeez, that's. I don't know, it just seems so, I don't know, inconsiderate, I guess you'd say, but may good on, I mean, that was very considerate of you to want to help her out, but <laughs> I man, don't know, it was crazy. $10,000, <laughs> gosh, that's, that's a lot. 
that yeah yeah especially if you're not like oh that's you know i have that much easily in savings you know that'd be one thing if you're like right but man if it was especially at a financially difficult time for you that's tough that's a big ask of somebody that's a big ask yeah uh but gremlins take advantage of you when you're most vulnerable and Man, they'll be your friend for though. life. I mean, that's something. That's, that is really geez. something. That's a violation. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Do you know she still practices or? No, I know her whole story. As a matter of fact, when I was in session with her, I learned more about her than oh. she really knew about me. I learned about her relationships with her past husband. I knew about her bankruptcy. How her, um, how her university wouldn't release her. Um, her uh, transcripts because she hadn't paid them so even though i was totally blind to uh, what had like okay what that yeah but we're friends like oh no (laughs) don't do don't even go there so life's experience experiential knowledge is probably the very best over academic book learning or or secondhand stuff as long as you as long as you learn the lesson mm-hmm. and so subsequently I, I when I have uh, clinicians that s- will even hint at you're unique or you're not like my other clients I'll say yeah and you know what they're not like any of the other ones either everyone yeah. is special yeah and when you start to group people together and treat them you know as a diagnosis rather than an individual, that's when you're going to lose it, and they will not get the services that they deserve. Um, that's my perspective now. I just ate up. When I was not well, I just ate up. Oh, I'm special? That's really cool. What can I do to foster that feeling in you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially in that kind of field, it just seems like you couldn't, like there's no right recipe to help someone. You got to really be mindful of like any individual might needs need some kind of different blend of mm-hmm. your your help and assistance, and one might not need as much as one little part of that the last individual needed. Like, yeah, it'd be really important to not just see them as like, oh, I had somebody else in here who had the same kind of, you know, like right, because everyone's journey is different. Yeah, you know, there are universal truths. But there is no great panacea that will fix everybody. Mm-hmm. And what clinicians often rely on is the DSM. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But I don't it, think I have. It's a diagnostic and statistical manual. And it has a code for every single disorder that there are. And people refer to it as the Bible of psychiatry. And what it is is a system of billing codes. Hmm. So... The symptoms that it lists, <clears throat> excuse me, the symptoms that it lists, if people manifest uh, any part or a part of or predominantly a number of symptoms in this, then the, that's the designation they get. Hmm. And they need a designation to bill for this. If that doesn't fall into that criteria, also they want that designation of symptoms in order to medicate people. That's all very left brain Hmm. this is the logic that we use to treat people which is all well and good because you need that but when you're dealing with people's humanity you need that right 
brain, that is that compassion piece. Yeah. Where you, you're dealing with their human condition. And that is the qualitative part as opposed to the quantitative part. Mm-hmm. And when there's an imbalance, that's why people are coming in the door because there is some imbalance. Yeah. Because they've been treated like a diagnostic, a, a bunch of diagnostic codes, or been marginalized for some reason because they fall into a certain group. And there is not that qualitative piece that recognizes their qualities as a human being. Yeah. That's why they come in the door. They don't come in the door. That's why they gravitate toward people who treat them humanely because they want to be acknowledged for their humanity, not for where what slots they fit into. Yeah, yeah. I always think it's kind of weird when, like, people get treated like a car with a check engine light on. Like, you're just going to be able to, like, read it like, oh, okay, yeah, you got this issue. Here's that. You're, you're good. Just take two of those a day. You'll be fine. You know? And it's like... Yeah. You know, I don't know. People are so different. I'm always just surprised when it's, somebody tells me, oh, I just went down there and I was only there for like an hour. They prescribed me this and it's going to help me get better. I'm like, what? You know, like, how do they know? Like, for sure, like, that's it. You know, it just seems like everyone is so different. Mm-hmm. There's no way this. Yeah, this, it's a total crapshoot as yeah. far as medicine goes. Somebody, because everybody is different. Yeah. You know, there are things that are uniform about people, but I mean, even you could stand 20 guys up and exposing their junk, and everybody's junk would look a little bit different, only very much the same. Mm-hmm. So there is some uniformity, but everybody brings something unique. Yeah. And as uh, Eric Clapton said, it's in the way that you use it you know it's in the way you manifest what you what you've got what what your what's in your dna that's all well and good but what are you going to use with what you've got yeah and uh so everyone brings unique reactions as far as medications go i don't want to speak on this too much because there's too much controversy around it but um There is an insensitivity among clinicians and an expectation that everyone will react the same way to changes in chemistry. Well, everyone has, if you think about it, everyone's tastes differ as far as food uh, goes, right? You may not like tomatoes, I may think they're wonderful. And the food that you take in your body is gonna change your chemistry yeah and your experience over the over a number of years uh lends to uh, an acquired taste for certain things and so it is with any chemical reaction in your body whether it's food or whether it's pharmaceuticals your unique experience is going to flavor the reaction that you have yeah because a chemical reaction is a chemical reaction yeah you know you have chemical bodily uh, brain chemical reactions to nature you know and everyone brings to that a unique experience to assume that this pharmaceutical will work the, for the same for everybody is it's fucking naive yeah and it fosters that um assumptive green line you know 
it's easy for us it is productive for us to foster that this is good for most people mm -hmm. the most sensitive clinicians will trust the feedback they get from from their clients but the clients are reluctant to say or be able to identify what the difference between symptoms and side effects yeah and the last thing that many clinicians want to do is assume that this is a side effect whether it is insomnia or sleeplessness or behavioral aberrations or you know or even hallucinations they it will chalk it up to symptoms and it's not until you back away from the pharmaceuticals that you can see uh, what how, what symptoms are left mm -hmm. and are they from withdrawal from these these helpers <laughs> yeah or yeah so uh, we just have this impatience with regard to illness that fosters this magic magic bullet thing kind yeah. of mentality this will fix it mm -hmm. and it will go away well it, no matter what kind of illness is it, if it's mental illness and it falls in that category of uh, uh, um, mental uh, behavioral manifestation or if it's a physical symptom that's manifested it takes time usually unless it's a traumatic event like you cut your arm off it takes time to f whether it's cancer or a bipolar disorder for 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 you to feel the pain of it you know for you to grow to the point where you're uncomfortable mm -hmm. and nevertheless human beings want to be well and will gravitate toward wellness if put in the right environment yeah but they're impatient and want it to I'm feeling the pain now, so fix the pain. And yeah. so that's where the pharmaceutical giants come in. It's mm -hmm. like, we'll fix your pain. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. a, a children's story in the works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll fix it. Well, yeah, and, and all it does is make them grow bigger. Yeah. And you more insignificant. So, But being patient and getting along that journey of wellness is as long and tedious as getting to the point of pain yeah we just don't have we just don't have the patience and all pun intended they have the patience we need to learn to have the patience and be in control and and personally empowered in our own wellness and recovery yeah um i did want to ask kind of to your your kind of view as far as like if somebody does feel that they, you know, that they have come to terms with like, yeah, I might, I might need to go seek help or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone wants help. What do you feel is like the best way that somebody can go and, you know, become a mental, like healthier person? Like, do you think it's go and find a, like a good clinician of some kind or find a good, um, like, you know, someone to talk to, like a professional of some kind, or like what? What do you? What's your kind of advice as far as that goes? An actress, writer, um, uh, mentor, I guess, of mine is Ruth Gordon, and she has a quote, and I'm I don't I can't recite it right off the top of my head, but it goes something like. Um, if you want to be successful, if you want to get it right, then uh, a little money helps. 
-hmm. You get people to help you and put in the effort yourself. But most of all, never, she says, and I repeat, never face the facts. Because, and when I think about that, I think, well, that's just plain silly because the facts are the facts. Well, the facts was that at one point the world was flat that um, science, if you ask any scientist, they'll go, yeah, this is the science about it, but science and our, our knowledge of the world expands. Yeah. And so what were the facts yesterday are not the same facts today. What going in to get help of any kind is admitting that, as they would say in AA, that your life has become uncontrollable and and that there is some power beyond you that you have to acknowledge so you have to come to a place of vulnerability and acceptance and that i've learned is a place of strength because it helps you understand you're vulnerable but also that you have a place in the world and to acknowledge that vulnerability is to say, I am fearful of the unknown, but I also can acknowledge that other people have strengths that I don't have. Mm -hmm. So when I am obliged to find another healthcare provider, I go in and say, look, I'm looking for a partner. I am the expert on me. No one else has lived my life. I'm looking to partner with someone that has expertise different than mine that can help me. And when you find someone that understands that and you're willing to bring your expertise and your understanding with confidence and say, yeah, this is what I'm experiencing. I need your feedback and insight about this. Um, that can be a productive partnership and you can glean insights from that person. Like you said, from your, from your trusted friends who say, yeah, things are a little bit different. You're presenting a little bit differently. This is what I think about that. Uh, but it comes from open dialogue and anyone who's not willing to openly dialogue with you, not reveal their personal stuff or take your credit card but someone who is going to offer their perspective respectfully, respecting your input as well with a common goal yeah. of your wellness and your health. That is the kind of person to glom onto. That is not going to a mechanic and saying, hey, it's making this noise, and they go, hey, it's not making that noise anymore. Or yeah. saying, yeah, I'll only be $1,200. Uh, wait a minute, because that other guy just took a screwdriver <laughs> right. um, so someone that's not going to take advantage of you and if you get any kind of inkling that they are taking advantage of you or your gut just says something's not right then you have the liberty to run like hell Yeah. Or just fire them say I have to look elsewhere because something's not right I may or may not be able to identify it but this is not working for me yeah yeah, no, man, that's, uh, yeah, especially the mechanic, that's a really good, 
That's a really good <laughs> analogy. I, a few a year or so ago, my girlfriend's car like had some issues and everything, and we took it in, and you know, it, it wasn't anything too complex, but it, I didn't have the tools to do it myself or anything. Take it in, and then they're like, all right, yeah, it's gonna probably be like eleven hundred dollars or so. And I was like, what? Why? Give me a printout. And I was like, these numbers don't make any sense. As, so we called another shop, and like, we can do that for like four hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. And so we told them that. Oh, let us rerun that stuff, you know, and yeah, you know, I guess we could do it for that much too. And it's just like, you gotta be careful if you don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have just wiped that card and they would have gladly oh, yeah. taken that money, you know? Yeah. But oh, yeah. same, I'm sure goes with healthcare individuals and everything. Like exactly. If they can just keep on like yeah. getting some, you know, business out of you. Yeah. And sometimes when you're vulnerable, like you need transportation or you need health care and your vulnerability is in the not knowing and you're not able to get the information you need that's why it's essential to have a support network of some kind you know so the so investing the time in relationships with other people that have expertise is really important to your survival you don't you see um in nature you see mother bears letting their cubs go explore and check out the environment the moment they're in danger she's there yeah she's she's all about taking care of them but also having them experientially learn about their environment Mm -hmm. so finding a balance and trusting that someone's going to have your back you know that uh it, it takes time, and like you said, with your friends, it takes an investment of your time. And if someone's not willing to do that, you know that they're not going to have your back. Yeah. You know, so uh, finding the supportive friends, trusting that everyone is an expert in some regard because of their experience and honoring that. Uh, yeah, uh, but you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to end up in drinking the wrong Kool-Aid or something. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely, that grape. I, you know, since Jonestown, I've not had artificial grape anything. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, I don't even want a hint of that flavor in my life. <laughs> Gotta be careful for sure. That's right. Don't, and that's where that colloquialism about not drinking the Kool Aid comes from. Yeah. Like, mm-mm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and the Kool Aid is such a good, it's a good just analogy in itself. Like, it looks good. Maybe at first it'll even taste good. But you might get burned, you know, you might. Well, it leaves a kind of a bitter aftertaste. Yeah. <laughs> it is all the artificial ingredients. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of relationships, you want the genuine ingredients. Yeah. So we all read labels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for for me, you know, when go back to the DSM, you know, all that is about is about labeling people. And when you label an individual the nuances of who they are as a unique individual are lost. Mm-hmm. Those those are what fill in the cracks that kind of can slip through their humanity, slip through the, the, the cracks that are left in the diagnoses, the nuances about our individuality. And that's where people want to be cared about. People want you to appreciate the uniqueness of who they are. Yeah. Because everyone is, and and um, but it's so much easier to understand somebody based on presumption, 
the whole idea about behind xenophobia or racism or, or any other presumption. It's like, I understand you because you fit in this box. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, the other day I was talking to somebody about, about uh, presumption. And I said, you know, if we have a box of kittens, they want to climb out. Yeah. But we want to contain them. And people are not like that. People won't stay in a box because of their unique, adventurous uniqueness. You know, they are a friggin' box of kittens, and they're all over the place. And they will let you know, I don't want to stay in this box. Mm -hmm. This is not okay. I want to go be unique and have my own unique experience. Yeah. And so, um, not that people are kittens, but people as unique individuals have their own soft, cuddly, attractive side and personalities. Kittens have their own personality. Putting them in a box is really kind of cruel. But we do that with our presumptive attitudes toward any group, which allows us to marginalize them. And that's not okay. Yeah. Because we don't want that done to us. No. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, so so I guess you would say that it's really important to come to terms with yourself and, like, making sure that, like, you know, I need to kind of, I need to do what's best for myself and then seek out others that can kind of help me to do find that, you know, take action on that. And then taking maybe another step to go make sure you're finding the right clinician or, you know, um, healthcare individual that can really, like, they have the best intentions and best. Absolutely. It is is that it's about balance again. Yeah. It's about knowing and trusting yourself, trusting your own gremlin inside. Yeah. But knowing your heart and caring about others and knowing that they are essential to your well-being. Um, and... Um, I would never tell somebody, no, you shouldn't seek professional help. Yeah. But not all professionals are just like, not everyone is intended to be your spouse out there. Yeah. You know, every clinician is not meant for you. They have a different style, have a different approach, different insights, different expertise. Um, it's okay to walk away. Yeah. It's in your best interest and in their best interest. Yeah. Yeah, no, um there's this there's this stand up comedian, Kyle Kinane, and he, he talks about uh he has like this kind of a bit about um talking to a friend who was talking to him about going and seeing their therapist and t- paying this therapist, you know, a couple hundred dollars an hour. You know, he has this joke like, You can give me a burrito and I'll listen to your bullshit all day. But it, you know, it's it's funny, but it's like for a long time even I didn't understand like why I, I mean, I was guilty of like not really seeing the importance of like when somebody says that they're going to seek out some kind of help like that. And, you know, looking back now, what I know now, it's like, I feel bad that it's like, I just didn't understand or like, Oh, why are they throwing their money away? You know, and everything. And I feel like that's an easy thing for a lot of people to assume, mm-hmm. but now I can really appreciate how, just as important as it is to eat the right things and to, you know, even like work out and stuff like that, go on a walk and everything. It's really important to like, you know, make sure that everything's going on. Okay. Up in your mental, 
mental health and mm-hmm. everything. And if you got to go talk to somebody that's an expert on that, you know, that has all kinds of a wealth of knowledge to offer you, um, that's really important. And I feel like that's something that should be made more known. More okay. Yeah, more yeah. okay. I feel like I, that was never a thing growing up in public school that I ever learned about. Right. You know, they teach you about, you know, PE. There's, you know, going out, going running. Right. All that stuff. There's, you know, even health class, they tell you about what you should eat. You know, there's that pyramid right. that they used to have and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was never, like, a mental health real thing. Like, there was never, like, a really, like, that wasn't an emphasized Right. No, it's de-emphasized. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Or even, I don't know. I feel like I was kind of, I feel like, not that this was ever pressed on me, but just naturally the community that I kind of grew up in, I wasn't encouraged to express my feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's something very wrong with you if you're, if you have a mental health need, as opposed to if you have cancer. Yeah. You seek treatment. Yeah. You know, so there are some maladies that are okay to address, and you get some sympathy and support around, but if it's a mental health one, there is this disparity about it. Yeah. Now, as far as I know people who are reluctant to see it, to seek therapy, mental health, uh, behavioral interventions, um, and I think a lot of it, is that convention of there's something very, very wrong with you if acknowledge that's a problem. But um, there is also a problem within clinic, clinical circles that people think they get into that role of clinician because they have their own stuff. They don't want to deal with it. They'd much rather help other people because that's going to be, that's going to make me better. I'm going to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get into this environment where Vulnerable, vulnerable people come in and then they'll tell them this is what you need to do now when I when someone encounters that my advice to them is to run like hell yeah because the best clinician is good to know that just like your body will tell you if you're eating the wrong thing and and if you listen gear you toward craving things that you need to eat or uh, if you're isolating, your mind will tell you you need to go outside. In terms of mental health, it's no different. You intuitively know what you need to do. The best clinician will ask you questions to bring out your own inner knowledge from and help you evaluate what you already know, mm-hmm. what, your, what experience has already taught you that is the best way to get well. Because that's what our bodies and mind want to do. That's why we dream when we sleep. It's to process information that we've taken in that we can't articulate during the day, that we can't process for some reason. The clinician that guides you toward self-discovery, that is the one you want to find. Yeah. Like I, like I said before, we don't want to feel constrained. It's our human nature to resist. And so we pull back. And we go, it's easy to go like discredit you. Well, that didn't work and, and make people go away. Mm-hmm. But if you're invited into wellness and self-discovery, that's those are the things, those are the concepts we can internalize because we've come to them on our own yeah. and we can own them. 
Yeah, no, yeah. that was no, great. That's, that was, no, it's true. That's great. And I think it's really important to really um, try all the different ways about mm-hmm. accomplishing that. Yeah. Like even um, for a while, I used to like write in like a little journal. You know, I just kind of write about nothing not even like my thoughts i just wrote about my day and it helped me to kind of really process what my day was like it helped me think through it even if i was just frustrated with like a slow driver or something or someone that was just like being obnoxious or whatever it was there's that or even uh i've been going like running here and there and i hate running i hate (laughs) it so much but i always feel a lot better after i'm done with it i just Mm -hmm. feel like more accomplished you know and i feel like Anything like that that people can do, whether it's even doing like yoga or something, mm-hmm. you can try that. If, you, if you're thinking, I don't know that I want to go take the leap to go talk to somebody, well, at least take a few steps, you know, like that, doing like yoga. I don't know or if like, I want to break the egg, right? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't have to go there. Not that that's a bad thing to do, but maybe even just taking a walk every once in a while, like a day, mm-hmm. just go for a walk for 10 minutes. You never know how much relief you can get from stuff like that or even just meditation kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, that um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of a lot of uh, positive things that could be done for people if they just kind of worked on himself mentally a little bit more mm-hmm. how much more you could appreciate your day-to-day and so i agree with you kyle i appreciate that um looks like we're running up on two hours that's um, a long time yeah well some <laughs> of the, some of these it's crazy how quick they'll just like go by and how much i mean there's been a few of them that have been a little over like three hours and it doesn't even feel like it it just feels like it just you just had a short little conversation, and then you look, it's like, whoa, it's been a couple hours, you know? But it's fun to talk, and I've, I've already learned a lot just talking to you. Well, thank you for saying so. Yeah. And I've had – I'm thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it gets your throat a little bit dry just talking for a while. But um, Yeah, um, but I've, I, it's a joy to yeah. talk with you. And I am honored that that you made the effort to come see me. I, I'm glad you appreciate it. Do you have anything kind of in closing that you kind of like to put out there into the world, even talk about your book, or you can anything that you're thinking of that you feel like your last few bits of work, not that we can't sit down in the future when another book comes out. Um, and where are those available to the public at this not yet. point? There, it's in process. And I, when I saw the uh, the arc of these stories i realized that i can't put the first one out there until the last one is done okay because the overall theme is about finding balance and not identifying anyone as a victimizer but that someone that com- is out of balance yeah that they have their own story mm-hmm. and their own uh, their own journey that they're on yeah um though because my experience has was to blame other people someone else is is the gremlin in my life which is there is a tremendous amount of truth in that that people do come into your life and it does seem to be spoiled and you do need to take acknowledge yes, I was vulnerable, now things are different, now you need to go. 
But the greater truth is to appreciate that they're on their own journey and just simply out of balance and that they are redeemable. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't want, I don't want to introduce that fault finding and, uh, and blaming someone without having that redemption. Yeah. So that all three stories come out at the same time. So I'm hoping that uh, I am planning to attend the Willamette Writers uh, Conference, which is annually in August, and talk to a number of uh, agents and, and publishers. Oh, okay. Because I'm eager for that. I'm, I'm eager for, for people to have that story and acknowledge that and to build relationships of appreciation for others unique journey but for people to know that establishing their own sanctuary and keeping it safe is essential to yeah. their wellness what uh how if people were interested then how could they follow up is there like a way that they can kind of see when that might happen do you have like a website or an email maybe that i they don't can you know my, i even backed away from facebook oh okay because i went you know i am not that important and I don't need to have my personal stuff out there into eternity. I have email, and I would welcome anybody emailing me at empowermenthouse at email.com, and that's the address uh, that will be on the books imprinted. Okay. And so I, I currently have some at home. I'd be glad to t talk to somebody about getting them a copy of at least the first two books, The Gremlin and the attic and the gremlin in the library okay well, that'd be great so you said that was uh what was that email one more it's time empowerment house all lowercase all run together no underscores or anything and it's at email not to be confused with gmail but it's at email.com okay well great um any other closing kind of thoughts you have or anything or? just thank you for doing this oh yeah it's a public service yeah no it's it's been a lot of fun so far and um I don't know. Hopefully, there's something can that can be gained from from anyone that hears it. If I, you know, if any episode, if a few people listen to it, even just one person gains something. If this, you know, pushes somebody to just say to themselves, "I really need to, I do need to work on my mental health," or "I need to go seek help," or "I need to kick the gremlins out of the attic," I need to, you know, conquer my own gremlin and my own heart. You know, that's taken over. You know. Then this this conversation is worth it to me. Absolutely, even to from, me too. You know, even for me myself, it's kind of like it's kind of a reality check. Like you know, I need to like work on this. My own, you know, little things here and there on myself. And I think that great. So um, if I may, I'm gonna uh, gift you these two books. Oh, okay. And so we have to stay in communication. So when I the third one, I have a copy of it. I can do that. Well, thank I you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, all right, then. Well, uh, it was great talking to you. I really appreciate your time, Lindsay. Thank you, Kyle. All right, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Don't forget to tell your friends and family about the show and that it can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at No Particular Podcast. There you'll see when I upload episodes and what they'll be about. Feel free to share your thoughts and ideas with me at NoParticularPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you check back next week.